0: Hello everyone and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disability here on Straight Independent Radio. We're sponsored by NeuroDiversityConsulting.org and Sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things that we do with people with developmental disabilities. I am your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce, and I am joined today by two of my colleagues and regular hosts on the show, Liza Citron, autistic, disabled, future edu- future special education teacher, and Scott Davis, disabled advocate, speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. And today is going to it. It's, it's not quite a clip show, but we're talking about current events and some of the stories about disabilities that are popping up in the news things that have caught our eye and Liza I want you to get started with the story that you found.
1: Yes so as you as longtime viewers of the show will know uh listeners rather as longtime listeners of the show will know we talked a lot about the Utility of disabled people and how not to value disabled people by their utility, and one of the ways that comes about, or or has, an, or comes about, an issue with our world today is the general thought that is held by a lot of society that it's acceptable to pay disabled people sub minimum wage when you're not paying any other group that I know of sub minimum wage, or if they are very few groups that comes to play in sheltered workshops, which are workshops and work places that can apply for a certificate to be able to hire disabled people and pay them less than minimum wage. Now, there are some governments nationwide government officials that are to have taken issue with this. But one of the biggest places in which there's something occurring along those lines right now is California. California's Governor Gavin Newsom a, around a week ago signed a bill that outlaws sheltered workshops or outlaws paying subminimum wage to disabled individuals. There are currently 10 other states that are currently phasing out that practice. That may seem great at first. And it is. I will acknowledge that paying disabled people at least minimum wage is the bare minimum mm. for what we need to do.
0: Yep. And However, we should clarify that it's illegal to pay anybody else less than minimum wage. It's illegal across the board to pay your workers less than yep. minimum wage, unless they have a developmental disability. So that,
1: that's, that's yep, the landscape that we're, that we're looking disability. at this from. Yep. So they have, they're starting to phase that out. Like I said, 10 other states are starting to phase that out, but there's kind of an issue with the way it's being executed. If this works great. However, what is in the bill says that the state can't authorize new employers to pay wages that are below minimum wage to disabled workers that's new employees new hires mm. those who are already paying sub-minimum wage i.e those who have those certificates that supposedly allow them legally used to allow them legally to pay subminimum wage have until the 1st of January 2025, so the beginning of 2025, to increase the pay to the national and state minimum wage.
0: So what I'm hearing is that this is kind of like a slow walk back that doesn't actually address the high rate of unemployment and underemployment in people with disabilities, but it, it's actually going to make it worse in in the short term rather than just saying, okay, guys, you've got till, you know, you got till six months to figure out how you're going to pay your disabled workers market rates. And and no, you can't just up and fire them because you now have to pay them, you know, at a minimum, the minimum wage. So the, the law is basically, you know, it, it basically goes along with that belief that employers won't want to. HIRE DISABLED PEOPLE UNLESS THEY CAN HIRE THEM AT A HUGE DISCOUNT.
1: AND THAT ACTUALLY LEADS TO THE OTHER POINT HERE. Mm-hmm. THE CONDITION TO THIS LAW IS THAT THE CALIFORNIA STATE COUNCIL ON DEVELOPMENTAL DISABILITIES I AM QUOTING HERE FROM A SACRAMENTO B ARTICLE WHICH WE CAN PUT IN THE DESCRIPTION. THE STATE COUNCIL ON DEVELOPMENTAL DISABILITIES IN CALIFORNIA must create a plan detailing how the state can help workers with disabilities, disabled workers, get the services and support needed to get jobs that pay them at least minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is amazing that they have to do that. But remember, it said there's a condition. And that condition is that if that plan by the State Council on Developmental Disabilities is not released by the beginning of the year 2025, the employers can continue to pay the workers sub-minimum wages, Mm. which, you know, it's great that the State Council is probably going to provide a lot of information and a lot of support, hopefully, to help disabled people get paying jobs above minimum wage and actually respect what we can do.
0: However- I have a question. Is, is there any indication in, in any of the legislation or the, any of the conversation about it around addressing the, the income caps and the asset caps that tend to force people with disabilities into choosing
1: to be unemployed or underemployed? Nothing's been mentioned about that that I can see. Okay. Okay. So- I, I haven't watched, obviously, all the debates in the California legislature, but mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly, there's nothing specifically in the law, and there are no publicized comments by any senators regarding that. They do address vague, this is not going to be good for our population, our disabled people, etc., but there's no... There's nothing being said about the income caps. Mm,
2: okay.
1: However, this condition, disabled people being paid more than minimum wage, as it is illegal to pay everyone else, I want to stress that again, should not be conditional. I think we all we all know that. It should not be you can pay your workers this subminimum wage that it would have been illegal to pay if we got, if we got no work done, but no, now you can continue to pay them that wage. Hmm. No, that, that's not, like I said, again, this seems great on the surface and if it works, it'll be great, but the way that it's implemented is severely flawed.
0: It's like they, they want to phase out the sheltered workshops and, and paying people with disabilities sub-minimum wage, but they just, you know, they, they, like they're slowly peeling off a Band-Aid that's been yeah, stuck on leaving,
1: for too long. Exactly, and they're leaving themselves like a fallback in case, oh, we can't do it, I'm sorry. You know, there have also been people in the, the California legislature, who have argued against it? This bill passed the barely a majority at forty-five out of eighty, and the, a lot of few, few of the people who voted against it are parents of disabled kids themselves, autistic or other ones. One of the one of the ones that was heard from most was um if I remember correctly, a mother of an autistic kid. Uh, yes, Sydney Kamlager, a uh, Democrat of Los Angeles. It says here or she talked in a floor debate about raising her autistic stepson, but she says, it is about time that we see them for all they are worth. I can't tell you the brilliance that comes from being touched by someone who is on the spectrum. I would ask that you take that into consideration. Which sounds great, but we don't need to be held to some standard above able people, but there are also people that, that say that paying them subminimum wages is helping them. So Assemblyman Devin Mathis, Republican of Visalia, I don't know where in California that is, but that's his district, uh, he said, we're trying to help them, we're trying to give them meaning in life and this piece of legislation takes that away from them. Hmm.
3: I'm so, sorry, are
1: you saying that, that, that paying disabled, giving disabled people a job, but paying them subminimum wages and not understanding what they're capable of is is giving disabled people meaning in life?
0: It sounds like they are going with the belief that employers won't want to hire disabled workers mm-hmm. if they have to pay them the same way they pay everybody else. Well, gosh. I mean, that's kind of uh, speaking in my experience as a parent, that's what I want. I want my children <laughs> to be paid at a rate that's commensurate with their peers, the, their peers who may or may not have a disability. And it's 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 I don't know, it's 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 disappointing, heartbreaking hearing other parents speaking from an experience wherein the, this the best way that they can see to to advocate for their children and their and other children like them is to to go along with this encode, encoded entrenched devaluing of people with disabilities and devaluing of their work not recognizing that you know what we, because I am someone with a disability. What we contribute to society is just as worthy as someone who doesn't carry a diagnostic label. Exactly, and someone and whose disability hasn't been identified.
1: Exactly, and you and your and you and your autistic kids, your two autistic kids, have very vastly different presentations. Mm-hmm. And another comment that has been made on this law by, quote, the National Council on Severe Autism, quote, they sent a letter to Governor Newsom urging him to veto the bill, saying, the State Council on Developmental Disabilities and Senator Durazzo must do better than to champion one, parenthesis, high-functioning, sect, close parenthesis, sector of the disability population, while throwing another sector under the bus.
0: Oh my gosh, I hate that so much. I can't, I can't, yes. I can't with that. I the
1: can't with that. No. that. The divisiveness that, that yeah. promotes. I no, can't. No. I, yeah, I no. I'm Sorry. Ignorant. I'm not. I am never, never, if I can, God help me, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that to my students. I, no. That, yeah, the no. divisiveness that causes and the saying that. Okay, yeah, this this paying people sub minimum wage is not okay for people who are supposedly higher functioning, but okay for these people who are more severely yeah. disabled, more severely presenting. No, it it's it, it, it's devaluing those people and it also also it's being bring- presented as a way to
0: advocate for and include the people that they call severely disabled. I call them people who have higher support needs. And
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. yes. And, and, and it, it, but, brings you know, the, it brings yes. back the you're not like my kid thing that I see all yes. too often by disabled yes. parents on, so- I mean, parents of disabled kids on social media. Like, oh, my kid is nonverbal or. Uh, I want to pl- say that he's lower functioning, et cetera. You're high functioning. You can't possibly be like him. You can't possibly speak for him. Yeah, oh.
0: I, I I cannot stand that dividing autistic people in particular into you know the supposed elite, quote unquote, high functioning people and the you know poor, left out, disadvantaged quote-unquote severely autistic people. No, that's not how that works. You don't advocate for for people with disabilities by dividing them. And and let's be clear here, it's not autistic people who are dividing autistic people into these two camps.
1: I've been blamed for dividing people because, just because of the fact that my diagnosis was Asperger's syndrome, which is now no longer in the DSM and I would get re-diagnosed as autistic. But, and I... As, as, as viewers, I keep saying viewers, as listeners have seen, I call myself autistic. I am. But people have argued that those of us who either have lower support needs or who have this name of a diagnosis were the ones dividing our community when, no, it's actually the holistic and able people outside it. Scott, you were going to say something?
3: Yeah. Uh, so you're saying what's, what's, what divides them? It's the, uh, who divides them? Uh, Liza?
1: Able people. Is... Uh, people okay. Yeah. Able people, because yeah. and especially able parents of disabled kids or able people who work with disabled kids yeah. or adults saying, okay, you're not like this person. You can't. Be part of the community. You're not the same. You okay. can possibly speak for this person.
3: It came into my mind about how do you measure these, these uh, functioning levels because we're all at different levels of development. Because mm-hmm. if you take exactly. a child like me who wasn't talking maybe at the age of three, you wouldn't want to say he's severely disabled. It took a while to get the words formed and everything else mm-hmm. formed. And you're dealing with co- a wide spectrum of people because you can have a high, fun- I mean, uh, someone who's able to do a lot and someone that may not be able to do a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. And exactly. you don't
3: want to measure or, or compare. It's not good to compare scriptures. Christian scriptures say we shouldn't compare one another. Mm-hmm. So that's just one support. And then. That-
1: I think it's important here to acknowledge, and I think you were getting at this, Scott, that just because someone is delayed in one domain, developmental domain, let's say, for example, speech, does not by any means dictate to what level they can be in the other domains. You can be delayed in, a, in one domain and very advanced in another. Hmm. Yeah. I, so. I want to,
0: I, I also want to pull out this, uh hang on, let me see if I can find this thought where I, where I put it. But this, there seems to be a lack of understanding or a lack of appreciation of the point that when people are advocating for appropriate resources for people with disabilities, particularly developmental disabilities, we don't have to advocate at the expense of other people with developmental disabilities as in you put resources on the table that that are specifically targeted for one group those resources will also be available to people in other groups if you know this this firmly entrenched belief that people with high support needs won't be employed unless employers can pay them sub minimum wages, that's what needs to go. That is what's handicapping disabled people. That's what's keeping them out of the workforce. The lack of support to put them in the workforce is what's keeping them out of the workforce. And you know, a plan that says, okay, state, we need to work on a plan to have the services and resources in place to support people with disabilities who want to work, it's disingenuous to kind of try to characterize that as discriminating against a particular popula- disabled population that's not how that works saying oh. that we need to have those resources in place so that people who disabled people who want to work can is not actually dis- discriminating against disabled people by creating this hierarchy of who gets what support no it's that that mentality of Fighting each other for crumbs that keeps holding us back. No, you don't have to fight other disabled people to get what you need for, for your favorite disabled person. Okay?
3: Uh, one thought, that, one word that just popped in my yeah. mind was favoritism. Mm. Also, yeah. the idea, of, also, it's important to note that this month in October is Dis- uh, Disability Employment Awareness Month. Yes. And a lot of times when I was Doing, I was part of a program in uh, Bridgeport for the, but what we did was we, uh, I, I, they, I put little on windows, uh, little flyers and quote, had some uh, speaking moments and ended up with a $500 stipend for that little bit of work. And the resources, I mean, you have some employers, but it's very different. But definitely I agree that when we put uh, resources out there, as with any any accommodation uh, in a company if someone's allowed uh, phones to enhance their hearing everyone should have that option so you need to broaden the playing field uh, somewhat and and that, that I, I think is good and get rid of these little loopholes and also it's a matter of the heart because a lot of times you have to almost like put yourself in in their shoes and finally my last rambling and then you can pick up whatever you want (laughs)
2: that's
3: how i operate is with the uh local organization in fairfield county county center they have excellent training programs i don't know how their wage structures are but definitely they look and they fight for legislation for what's fair for the uh, developmental disabilities that that they fight for, and intellectual disabilities that they fight for.
0: So I think to to wrap up a little bit about this, um, we are clear. Well, a lot of people are clear that paying disabled people sub minimum wages in what are called sheltered workshops are it, it's it's not actually a sign of support. It's not actually a sign of caring. Um, it's not actually good. Moving towards integrating people with disabilities into the workplace as equals with their peers, providing with them with the supports that they need so that they can participate in the workplace at at least minimum wage is where we need to be going. Um, we need to be coming out of that cave. And we also need to not like try to make disabled people fight each other. You know, different groups of disabled people fighting each other because that seriously, that's where you're gonna go with your advocacy. Don't do that. I don't have t- I, I don't have time to fight with other disabled people or other disability advocacy groups. I don't have time for them to be fighting me because every mm-hmm. every moment that I spend having to talk someone down, or talk or talk to someone saying, no, actually, no, our needs are not at odds with each other. We can meet the needs of both of us. Is time and energy taken away from making that point to the people who are responsible for, for providing those services and resources? So, Liza, I want to thank you for bringing that story to our attention. And oh, oof, there are there a few infuriating pieces in there, but that's the lay of the land these days. So
1: yes it is
0: yeah it's it's my turn next and i just so happened to to land upon uh a a story in newsweek (laughs) um you know it's it's take it for what it is but um someone who's getting married at some point decided to not invite her and this is what the headline calls her her severely autistic sister to the wedding. Now I I have a kiddo who can at times be described as someone who's severely autistic. And we have had to do that calculus of, is it worth bringing him to this social event? Is this something that he would be comfortable at? Are they gonna work with us to make sure that he's comfortable? Are they going to understand? Are they going to provide us with accommodations? And sometimes the answer to all those questions is no, and we stay home.
1: And I think the important thing here is that you are, you're probably doing it for his sake, not making this decision to make others comfortable. Yes. You are making this decision based on how he would feel
0: yes. there. Not I'm not about to drag him up to the state fair ever again. Nope. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't handle the state fair yeah, it's these always days. But, me sometimes. So this, this story goes on to, to, you know, retell information that this person posted on Reddit somewhere. And there are a lot of red flags for me. First is the point that, the, the one that there doesn't seem to be a conversation really between this woman and her family about how to make her sibling comfortable. There doesn't seem to be an understanding on the part of the parents because they got upset when the when when this woman said, "Okay, here are the reasons that that I have concerns." Um, I guess the 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 main concern is that the 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 quote unquote severely autistic sister um is not reading the social cues and is behaving in a, inappropriately <laughs> towards the groom and the first question i had when reading this is well what have y'all done to help her understand what she can and can't do towards this person and you know how have how have you intervened and worked with her to help her you know figure out okay this is a person that i like but I can't express that in this way. This is a better way for me to express that so that we can both enjoy the interaction. There's no details about that. And, and that was the first, first place that my, my thoughts went. Uh, part of the problem is that the sibling is, and, and, and this, is what it's, this is what it says in the story, while she is verbal, most of her communication is physical. Like sen- sign language due to her social discomfort. Liza, do you use sign language because of social discomfort? No. No. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, wait, what? If a non-verbal person is using sign language, it's because they got something to say. They might be, you know, they might be happy. They might be signing, get me out of here. I don't like this.
1: Because I want to be social,
0: yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know this just this just reads like somewhere along the line that that there was a disconnect between helping this young woman figure out how to be herself and express herself appropriately like that 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 didn't happen. They just, and I'm trying hard not to not to judge because. Every family is different. The skills the skills, and the tools that they have available to them are all different. And I think what struck me in this story is that this family didn't seem to have the tools available to them to make this work so that the family could be together. Um, I've had experiences where for huge family gatherings, what is, you know, one of the planning items high up on the list is making sure that... Uh, Kiddo has all their favorite foods, kiddo has their favorite toys, kiddo has their designated space for when they need to be done with people. And that and that was it. You know, it's like, okay, here's the food, here are the toys, there's the space if you need it, go enjoy yourself. And and that was the that was the extent of the planning. And for our part, we were working with kiddo, like, okay, this is what's gonna happen. First we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do that and then the next thing's gonna happen. There there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into socializing when you um, when you have young children, even adult children with, with a disability like autism. It is so that so that everybody can, can enjoy themselves as much as possible and get through it. Exactly.
1: It is, but despite that. That planning and, and that execution of it, and I think this is a very important piece, it's helping him maintain his agency, which is mm-hmm. incredibly important because that's so often taken away from us.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess and- that, you know, there, there are public, there were some in the story, there were some problematic behaviors. Um, such as the the sibling trying to kiss the groom and and things like that, which red flag invasion of personal space. Has anyone had a conversation with this young woman about personal space?
1: It's not a it's not a she's doing something wrong. She likely doesn't know mm-hmm. if she sees her sister doing it, and it's mm-hmm. the 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 bride with her sister, correct? Uh, yes, the bride is the sister. He sees her sister doing it, and she thinks, okay, this is a, this is a way I can. If I, if I like this person, if I like being around mm-hmm. them, okay, this is something I can do with them. No one's explained to her, hey, your sister has a different relationship with this guy yeah. than you do, and it's okay for her because XYZ, you will want, hopefully at some point, you will find someone who for you who's xyz but it is not appropriate for this person
0: and and part part of part of the 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 problem um for for this bride-to-be is that she says her sister doesn't really understand that some things are okay for some people but not for others and again another red flag thinking well what are things that you can do for someone who is who's not reading those social cues because they're not paying attention to those particular details you know how do you explain how do you explain the differences in relationships because there's at least the understanding in this young woman of you know the parent-child relationship of a mother-father relationship and of a sibling relationship
1: Exactly. Has anyone even tried explaining that? I think no. Hmm. There's no
0: discussion of. And, and the reaction from the parents is is equally distressing. Their, their, their response is to call the bride selfish and um, you know, disinvite themselves and several other family members. And it's 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 kinda it's it's disappointing that the conversation isn't more it seems that um, you know, both parties that that really should be figuring out together, well, how do we make this young woman comfortable and how do we include her in a way that works for her and works for everyone else around us? They're not having that conversation and which is which is un- unfortunate. And folks, that's the kind of conversation you need to have. The conversation you need to have is how do we include people in a way that works for the person who needs the accommodations and works for the people who would be providing the providing the accommodations? It's not that we, again, we're going back to this idea of pitting, you know that thinking that the needs are competing. The needs don't have to compete. They can cooperate. The, the, the young woman can get to be part of the, the, the family gathering without having to stress her out, without having to stress anybody else out. Although I don't know that there's ever been a bride that wasn't stressed out about her wedding day. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I know. Uh, I, 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 had a few, I had moments that made me want to flip
1: a table on my wedding day. Um, you were going to say again, Scott. Again, how often do you uh, do you want to flip the table? I, I I pretty often.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, um. You were going to say Scott.
3: Yeah. well, Flipping table, That's pretty pretty wild. Also, but no, you're not that way anyway. We don't want to stereotype anyone. But definitely, I liked your your input about the tools, about the expectations. Have that clear expectation, and it goes back to a lot of the topics we've discussed whether it's policing or anything or museum staffing is about education
2: mm-hmm. and I think that's,
3: that's important also I, I agree about the idea of putting things up put people on equals and, and, and listening to social cues I agree with all that and it's just just to reiterate and, it, and it's just and the idea of acceptance and my story we talking about acceptance but it's, it's still I think all that aspect but there is and i liked your idea sam about having the like you did with your kiddo is you had you knew he wanted to have food and toys and his own space because then he can just self-absorb there's a lot of Mm -hmm. some people with autism not everyone but they get self-absorbed i don't want to picture everyone in that sense
0: i I think the word you're looking for is self-regulate yeah yeah and um
3: and that's part of of the whole, partly masculine, or the self regulation, emotional intelligence, hmm. or social emotional yeah. learning.
0: And I think what the, the the story continues describing the back and forth between the family and the bride, and and rejecting, you know, suggested accommodations like attending via webcam, webcam or Redirecting the 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 unwanted behavior. I mean, that seems like a no brainer, but
1: okay, that yeah, was acceptable that's, to the to the parents. Um, the thing it it would seem like the behavior then isn't the issue. It's the, the target. It's the person because mm-hmm. it, if if they wouldn't allow her to attend, even if even in the scenario where the behavior would not be disruptive, regardless of whether they try to redirect that behavior or whether they have even bothered to explain. Well, their-
0: it's, it's unclear if that was, if that's actually the case, because, you know, the suggestion was offered, well, if we redirect the behavior, her behavior away from the groom, then it wouldn't be a problem. But that, that, you know, the the asking for the redirection was, was seen as problematic. But yes. as as the story goes on you know then we get to um you know re- rejecting possible accommodations and then there there seems to be this concern on the bride's part that you know when her parents die she will then be responsible for her sister mm. <laughs> and having to look after her um mm-hmm. Which you know that's a that's a concern for siblings, and if you are someone who you're not ready and willing to do that, the the it might be distressing thinking that that when your parents are gone, you're going to be stuck with this sibling that you may or may not have a good relationship with, that you may or may not want to take care of. Which is fun, you know. When my kids were diagnosed, my brain was like thirty, forty years down the road. Yeah. I was in a nursing home and what's going to happen to these kids? Yeah. And okay. I set a plan in motion. All right. These kids are going to have to love each other to death because when I'm gone, they're going to have to take care of each other.
3: And Jeremy too.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know how successful the plan is, but so far they seem to be quite civil and caring of with each other. And You know, not every family, again, gets that and has the tools to be able to build those kinds of relationships so that, you know, they feel comfortable saying, I'm concerned about this, let's work on it, or that I'm looking at this and these are the things that are, that are coming up for me that I want to address. Communication is hard, okay? It's hard. (laughs) And, And communication within families is hard, his, but uh, the, it struck me that that was a concern that came up in talking about. I don't want my severely autistic sister at the wedding because she behaves inappropriately towards my my soon-to-be husband. So uh, I don't know. I think angst about the future might be a bigger concern than than maybe the behavior towards the the, the bride. But that that's a story that I kept coming back to. And looking it over and thinking, oh, my gosh, these people really need help. These people yeah. need so much help. The bride and her, and her husband-to-be need help. The, the, the sister needs help. The parents need help. They all need to figure out how to talk to each other, you know, figure out where the responsibilities lay, what are the expectations. Folks, don't expect that family members will do whatever it is that you want or need from them. That's a conversation you gotta have, and this applies whether or not somebody has a disability. Yep, manage those expectations. So I, I guess that's that's my um, that's what struck me about this 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 uh, little snippet about a woman deciding not to invite her severely autistic sister to her wedding. It's folks are are not managing their expectations well. Yep. And they clearly need some help on, on communicating. Scott, I, you also had a story and I, I think the story you found was a little bit more um encouraging and yeah. uplifting. Gotta love Scott to always lift us up out of the, out of those moments where yeah. we want to flip tables. Scott keeps us all calm. <laughs> Tell us about your story, Scott.
3: Yeah, my story, I just happened to, I found it quickly. And that is, in the Independent Voices, there was an article about an autistic man at his brother's wedding and, and, and the person reporting it saw this Eric Garcia, uh, who reported it, saw his uh, sister and himself. And, he, and he's just about the differences and when the brother, when the got a Mickey Mouse toy and he played with it. But then when his sister was born, because this gentleman is autistic, he didn't really understand the difference between the, the doll and the, and the new sister. So he put her, put her away in the closet thinking it's like, it's like the, the doll. Mm-hmm. And obviously it caused a little friction between the two of them, between the brother and sister.
0: You know, stuff like that happens even when there isn't a sibling with a disability. Ask me how I know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> go, go ahead. Because so that stage of childhood development, it, it, the the way the the way the brain forms.
3: It yeah. Grows. Okay, but but the thing I, I liked about it was that despite that, and then they use other other examples, but if the, this brother and the sister, that they were supportive of each other. The sister obviously advocated. For when when the brother who was autistic got bullied and, and, and just stood up and and that was nice and that they just accepted the love and then it was just a different type of love that that was said there was that feeling or understanding that was out there and and, and they talked about being equal so it's not and I like to quote and the article says Our, uh, "I smell while watching." Sam say, uh, the woman say that brother loves him just as he is. But the only thing greater than loving someone is to have your love received freely. Our emotions are a way of being are no less valuable currencies. And the cash they have is nearly universal. So it's, then they deal with other issues. I'm not trying to get into the whole family dynamics of what happened, but just the idea of thinking about the currency of our, our love and, and just to have that caring of just how people are that uniqueness because a lot of times with disability we, we talk about the county center and the people's bank uh they talk about the unique perspective that viewpoint and having that understanding even if people don't read the social cues i just and I can give you the link so people can read and understand what I'm talking about because I don't want to analyze their situation because I think it's all pretty hopeful. Is that? Yeah. When we were talking about your situ- your story, Sam, it, it's a good example, especially with issues of how do you communicate with families or how do you mm-hmm. deal with either the social emotional landscape as a tool and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we're not going to link. The, Understand that that might be an excellent idea to link those two in an episode because I think I can see now, I don't have it developed, but those really are our sister concepts, two sides of a coin. And if we can build these people up and even tie in the idea of resilience, then I think we can really have a triangle or, or a way of looking at how we can do it and build a, a tool set. Mm. Yeah. because we're talking about expectations. That's what all these things run into my mind, the viewer's mind. We would love your input to us because that's where it becomes universal or even input at the table when you're at these discussions, planning weddings, planning vacations, even planning funerals, every aspect of, or births, especially when you're going to bring a kid into the world, it's always helpful to remind someone of that or enjoy the humor
2: Mm.
3: of that but it's an accepting because even that uh, sister I wouldn't like being one to be put in the closet if someone doesn't understand but to have that openness that Mm. transparency and those just general courtesies that's, that's those are just what I wanted to share that I think kind of get at it and, and also different cultures, these mm-hmm. women liked going to church. And then the other guy just didn't really, wasn't.
0: Hmm. I, what uh, I like about a the story. Typical,
3: a typical, uh, sister and then an autistic mm-hmm. adult, I mean, a brother.
0: Yeah, what I like about the story that you shared, Scott, is that they figured out how to make it work for everyone. You know, they, they figured out how to include everybody. Equal. As, as, you know, as equals on, on equal footing so that the whole family could enjoy that particular moment. And I think it illustrates for us that that kind of inclusion and accommodation and acceptance is possible. Mm-hmm. Not easy. Not easy, because as, as we saw with the, the story I shared, you know, people have their expectations and their feelings and their wants and desires. But it is possible to to work with all those, put all those things together and come out with a solution that works for everyone. Yes. So thank you so much, Scott, for sharing that story. And uh, again, I love that you always mention Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think we're going to have to do a whole show on that.
3: The and the social learning. I'm going to try to figure out the connection and resiliency.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it might just be, a, a, I don't have the clues to that model, but it might, or even a, a training outside that people can. Yeah. Connect.
0: Yeah. On, so, on so how.
3: Input that.
0: Yeah. On how understanding Maslow's hierarchy of needs influences mm, the way we advocate for disabled people oh. influences the policies that that we write that impact the lives of disabled people um mm-hmm. the, the way our- it influences how we teach and yeah. how we support folks in 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 the workplace so yeah i i like that mm-hmm. we're, we're onto something here i'll and be honest money- i have a note written down in my notebook
3: yeah <laughs> it, it- it's money as a motivator. I'm kind of waking up now. I'm all awake before, but still, it just when I write these things, out, I say "bing, bing, bing." That that's that's the connection. But I think,
1: did you also just drink any coffee or
3: no? A little iced tea, but not, that's not much. Yeah, that's
1: caffeine. But yeah, caffeine. That that caffeine helps, helps.
3: Motivation. I, I had a long nap. But motivation is the whole thing because if you're paying someone less than the minimum wage. And they're working hard. They're not, maybe not going to want to work as hard. Or if you don't give them equal access to promotions or wages, a lot of companies that, for, that Kennedy Center recognizes go above and beyond that in that they, they allow these people and they give them this thing called agency. We've talked about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And we okay. give them that. I can't define it right now, but still we've talked about it. And it, and it provides them that. And we can discuss that in a future episode, tying all those previous concepts I mentioned and a few others that I may come along with, or even a couple episodes, because we always can expand the, expand the concept.
2: Yeah. yeah. So
3: that we can then help people to then maybe make the right decision. So there's no exclusion.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: As we saw that in the museum piece, where there's that exclusion. But you have to have an understanding and be flexible.
0: Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Liza and Scott, for for um, just going with the flow and discussing stories that that you found. I think we're we're, we're gonna do this. We'll have to make this a regular <laughs> a regular segment or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, because there are. Your disability isn't a special occasion thing. No. It's an everyday thing. Disabled people are disabled every day. Uh, th- those of us with uh, developmental disabilities, we're disabled from birth. Yep. You know, through and death. I, yeah. So it's like every day of our lives.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think we have to acknowledge that while there will be positive stories like the ones Scott shared, we do have to acknowledge the negative. We We, we can't be positive all the time. That, yeah. That's not possible.
0: Yeah, you got to be honest about the way things are. Exactly. So that, you know, if something's not going well, well, you, you have to recognize, oh, this isn't going well. Why is it not going well?
2: Yeah.
0: How can we change that? So thank you again for joining us, uh, Liza and Scott. Thank you to our listeners for listening in to Life Fantastic the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on straight independent radio. Mm. I'm your host, the idea Dynamo Samantha Pierce. We are sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things that we do with people with developmental disabilities. Also check out our race and disability lecture series that is happening right now. And we are talking about having those hard hard conversations about how race and disability intersect and what that means for the lives of racial and ethnic minorities who also happen to be disabled. Thank you everyone and hope you have a good rest of your day.